Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxMyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise, and find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary stats. Goal by my hand, a three-point goal for Dax my hand. I just got chill buck. All the experiences I had in basketball, I go back to my days playing high school basketball was the strongest relationships, the best teammates I ever had mm-hmm. uh, was, was when I was in high school. I think it's it's critical, you know, mm-hmm. as far as from a leadership standpoint is it's not so much where are you now, but where where are you where are you headed, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking with Terry Birdsong, boys basketball coach at uh, Callaway County. So, uh Terry, if what traits are you looking for in a player? If there's and we, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but if you could design your own player, what would be the things or the the key traits you would want in that player? Well, that's a good question, and believe it or not, it's it's something that we talk about as coaches. You know, when a kid enters our program, as a, we'll say as a freshman, they enter it much earlier, but by the time they get to the high school, where do we want them to be their freshman year, and then where do we want them to be as a senior? And our biggest thing, Dax, that we focus on is developing well-rounded players. One of the reasons why the team I had this year, and even the, the best teams I've had, We've had well-rounded players. We have guys that can dribble, pass, and shoot. And that's what we strive for. We want all of our guys, no matter what their position, I mean, within reason, to be able to do things, especially offensively. Mm-hmm. Can you dribble? Can you pass? Can you shoot? And it's interesting, too, if, if, if someone's listening to this, I get asked this a lot. What, Coach, what do you think? What's the number one thing I need to be teaching my kid? And I'll tell you, above anything else, it's handling the basketball. That should be the that should be the cornerstone of the the everything that you start with your son is handling the ball, and a lot of times it's shooting, and shooting is important. But the one thing about handling basketball is is any coach will tell you there's a shortage of kids that can do it. It's a lost art, mm-hmm. a real solid point guard, and the second thing is. It allows you to, you know, it, it cancels out. Am I going to be short, tall, slow, fast? If the coach knows that you can handle the basketball, and I've had some great point guards. You think about the point guards mm-hmm. I've had. Yeah. Uh, I've had Chase Futrell. Right. I mean, excellent That's who player. jumped to my mind when I've you had started. Chase. I had, I had Jesse Anderson, who was a terrific player. I had Mason Beal, who was an outstanding point guard. So, And then, of course, Wade Carter this year. And I've had some others. Matt Mooney was a kid that played for me at Webster County, went on to play at center, was a terrific point guard. Uh, and I hope I didn't leave anybody out. Uh, Eric Burbridge, he was a, he was a good player for me. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Bynum, I mean, we could go on and on. Uh, but I think it's the most important position on the court. Yeah. So if, if, if you were asking me, you know, what's the main thing we work on is producing a well, well-rounded kid. But as, an, as a young player, it's handling the basketball. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's unbelievable that you just said that because we uh, interviewed uh, Dennis Faust the other night. Uh, the founder of Little Dribbler Basketball in Marshall mm-hmm. County. And, you know, Dennis, and I remember Coach Hatcher at the camps when we were, I guess, the guys working at the high mm-hmm. school kids working at I remember him saying to the younger kids and to their parents, if you want to play varsity basketball, learn to dribble. Yeah. And, you know, Dennis even brought that out. He said, you know, we started Little Dribblers because – 
we ha- we did not have kids that could handle the basketball, mm-hmm. and we needed to do it. But the parents wanted to shoot. They yeah. wanted to shoot. Yeah. So, so man, it, it's amazing. And you actually covered another question I was going to ask you. Uh, what can parents do to help you with their child? And I think you just answered the question. <laughs> well, there's several things. You know, well, that, that, that could be a whole different topic. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things I see, Dax, a lot is mm-hmm. – one of the challenges you mentioned a while ago uh, when you and I were talking off the mm-hmm. off the microphone here about uh, uh, baseball coaching and different things, getting involved, even when your son's not playing. One of the things I see a lot with parents is that we have we have a lot of parents that want to make the easiest easiest path for their son, mm-hmm. and it really and I've seen this. And again, I'm I'm talking from nineteen twenty years experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen so many kids that have been protected and the parents uh the dads in particular do everything you know they they pick the best teams for them to be on just to win the little league tournament or whatever and they surround them with all these players and they uh and and a couple things happen is one one the kid usually gets burnt out and the second thing is that when they start playing for coaches other than parents they've really got to be good enough to play I mean, and, and I, I've always said that cream rises to the top. And so, I mean, that that's something that I admire and I have a lot of respect for dads that spend time working with their kids and coaching them and helping them. But at the same time, you know, you got to challenge them. Mm-hmm. And it can't, it can't be I'm going to pave the way for my kid because when they get in about middle school, you know, all that changes. Yeah. Then it really comes down to who's the best players. Yeah. So uh, what I'm hearing is you're saying you can really almost do too much for your child as a in the basketball development. Well, you can't – I don't know that you can do too much as far as just developing skills, mm-hmm. but as far as coaching them and they shoot 20 times a game and and you're not teaching them to play together as a as a team and they handle the ball dribble 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 constantly yeah. and y'all y'all you've watched a lot of a mm-hmm. lot of games with young guys yeah. you know the 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 dads that I think have it figured out are the ones that really instill in their kids a team concept mm-hmm. and they don't let them shoot every time they don't let them dribble the entire game you know I think that's the thing but but just just really handling the basketball mm-hmm. and I, I, again I think that's that's the key thing. Yeah. You know, going from the transit, making the transition from a player to a coach, what was the biggest shock you had once you became a coach that maybe something that surprised you the most? Well, I guess the biggest thing as a young coach is that you can't put a uniform and go out there and solve the problem or try to solve the problem. You've got to figure out how to get other people to solve the problem. Yeah. And that's a, that's a challenge. You know, I talked to a lot of people that played basketball that really think they have it all figured out because mm-hmm. they played. Yeah. And I tell them all the time, playing and coaching are as opposite, complete opposite ends as you can get. Because as a player, you see a problem and, and you go figure it out and you solve it with your talent and your skills. Mm-hmm. But as a coach – You've got to find a way to get five pieces of a puzzle moving in the same direction and playing for each other. Maybe when grandma or granddad or mama or daddy's telling them they should shoot more or why are you passing to this guy. And, and they're they, the greatest, right? They're yeah, the greatest they're the greatest. There is, yeah. And, um, and then they see on TV all the, the games that's foreign you know, a lot of times to what we're doing here, you know, that's the big thing. And, and I will tell you that 
I guess the other side of that that's helped me the most as a former player is that I have a pretty good read on on the kids. You know, I've been and I tell our kids, you won't ever go through a harder practice than I've been through. You know, everything that you're doing, I've already done. I've been there. So I I think I can gauge when we've had enough. And I think I know when and, – and, and one of the things – one of the big things for me I always think about with my teams is when February rolls around and the kids are beating you out of the gym, it's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I go – when we get through with practice and I go up to get changed and get ready to leave and we still have kids down there shooting and trying to dunk the ball and, and doing things, that's a good sign, yeah. especially in February. Yeah. So I feel like I have a gauge when we've ran enough – and when we've hit that wall and we fought through that wall, now it's time to go home. Mm-hmm. And it's trial and error. You know, I'm a different coach than I was. My first year at Callaway, we won six ball games, And I, we practiced those kids to death. It's a wonder they even speak to us anymore. <laughs> we practiced them and practiced them and practiced them, thinking that that's all we knew. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't the answer, you know. We we did get better, but we started shortening our practices. And it kind of – it was the opposite of what we thought. And we started mm-hmm. seeing improvement with the kids. So – it's it's a lot, but with what's between the ears too, mm-hmm. you know. As a as a as a player versus a coach, you, you have to. You're just one piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. as a player. As a coach, you know you're putting the puzzle together. Yeah. So that, that's a big difference. What do you think about multi sport athletes? Have have you have you had much experience with that in in your years? And kind of what are your thoughts I about have. that? I have. I've been on both sides of that. I've had some. Uh, I inherited a team this year at Callaway where. None of the kids really played anything but basketball for four years. So a couple of my teams at Graves, five of my top six kids played football, and some played Peyton Puckett, played football, baseball, and basketball, and was all district in baseball, set all-time, I don't know how many records in football, and was all-time leading scorer at Graves. Yeah. So it really depends on the kid. Now, if if I had my choice, uh, I'm – I would rather a kid play multiple sports. Huh. The way the way the now I've I haven't always been that way. You know, coming from when we played, and and I I say this, I think I could have been a good football player. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that was my that was my favorite sport up until about the sixth grade. Yeah, uh, but I fell in love with basketball and and was kind of encouraged, you know, to play basketball, and it worked out for me. Oh yeah, uh, I kind of grew up and in mm-hmm. instead of. You yeah. know, and my football body kind of disappeared, and yeah. and um, but but anyway, back to what you're asking. I I, t- I think kids, I think basketball kids that play football, they get something from football that we can't teach them. You know, being aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, sticking your nose in there and fighting, um, and football players get something from basketball that they can't teach them: hand-eye coordination, footwork. Um, just, just so, I, so I think they work well. Baseball too. I mean, and and you know, it, it really comes down to this: whether it be football or baseball, if you're on the mound in a tough ball game against a tough team, and it's the bottom of the seventh, and you you're protecting a one run lead, and you're on the mound to finish that thing off, how is that going to carry over to a Friday night game mm-hmm. against a good opponent? I think it has a strong carryover. Yeah. Uh, so uh, now. You hope that the kids you have that play multiple sports are are getting the same things you feel like you're giving them. Mm-hmm. Are they are they being encouraged to compete at the highest level? Are they are they developing a winning attitude? You know, there's a big difference in losing and getting beat. Are the other coaches 
uh, are they when they don't win? Are they getting beat? Mm-hmm. Are they coaching them up? Are they tough on them? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you hope that everybody's doing that. And yeah. if they are, uh, I tell you. But you know, one of the things too, Dax, that people can't get sucked into is this. We see these reports of. I saw a report of uh, that Ohio State came out. Urban Meyer came out with it. Said I don't know, uh, incredibly high percentage like of eighty something, eighty percent played yeah. multiple sports. But now let's look at that select group of of athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were the best athletes in the school and could play any sport. Yeah. You know, they jump and run and I mean, yeah. so it's not talking about your typical high school kid. That's one thing I know Doc Heidegg talked about, you know, he said when it's baseball season, I want my kids playing baseball, but he said I want a kid who feels the pressure at the free throw line in a big situation. He said right. that only helps him when he's at the Carries plate over. in a big situation. And and he said he goes, I really think it it helps uh, each sport, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's one thing I've always, always kind of intrigued me. I know with my experience as, as a baseball right. player and a, and a and a basketball player, I felt I got the, exactly what right. you're talking about. Well, you it's know? changed a little bit now too because all the sports play year round. Mm-hmm. Years ago, if you were a baseball player and you only played baseball. What what did you do from you know from June till March? Nada is what you so, did. Yeah. So uh, the biggest thing is that you're not getting an opportunity to compete. And mm-hmm. I think my personal opinion is the uh, the opportunity to compete surpasses all everything else, mm-hmm. regardless of the sport. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're in a in a clutch situation in a key time, it doesn't matter what the sport is. It's going to benefit you in anything else you do. And now the way the KHSAA has it broke up, you know we get. I want my basketball kids in June. Outside of June, they can play football every day. Mm-hmm. They can play baseball every day. I have a three-week window there where I really need them because that's what they've limited us to. And I know uh, when July, the football coaches say, hey, and you know in baseball, baseball I guess of the three is probably played the most. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have a season, Yeah, I it don't kind, think. I can, from my experience, it, it kind of gets pinched because, you know, June is prime baseball season – July is prime, and so you've got the other sports kind of. But but you know, usually, uh, in in my experience was usually most coaches work with you. You know, right. and those kids, the kids who play the multiple sports, want to play basketball right. and that's baseball, right. and that's right. and and they and they don't miss much. You know, yeah. that's a big misconception. Oh, well, if they play one sport, they're going to miss. The kids I've had, mm-hmm. and I could real, I could run off a list of names. Jimmy Bynum played for me here when we won the region in '03 one of the best basketball players I've coached Mm -hmm. and ran for 25 touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And he was here, you know, it's kind of that old, you know, if it's important enough to you, Mm -hmm. you'll be there. And you'll have very few conflicts. And I think one of the things that that coaches do a good job of now that maybe years ago uh, might not have, but most coaches work well together. Mm -hmm. And they know they have to share athletes. And so we get our schedules out early. And that way, the other coaches can plan around. Okay, I know basketball's on Tuesday night, so let's let's do ours Thursday mm-hmm. or vice versa. Yeah. Well, to that point, uh, talk about some of maybe the the coaches that you've you've been at schools with that you've you've really enjoyed and maybe learned a lot from. Does anybody want to mention uh, specifically that kind of jumps out at you that you've that you've interacted with? You mean uh, like? Yeah, maybe in other sports that you know at different oh, schools oh, or anybody okay. specifically that just comes. Oh yeah, to mind. I, I've had um, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of um, a lot of good coaches. You know, I, I don't know that anybody just really jumps out. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'll leave somebody out. Sure, but, yeah, but I've 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 had, to be honest, I've had some that were and some that really that maybe weren't, mm-hmm. and it made it difficult. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate because one of the things that actually you realize 
as you get older is you're not the only coach that wants to win. I mean, sometimes when you're young, you think, well, nobody, I'm the only, what I want weighs more than everybody else. But you realize that, man, and I think it's the longer you coach, there's such a respect thing there for guys, no matter what the sport is. We're all, we're all underpaid, mm-hmm. and we're all doing it because we love working with kids. We're not doing it for money. You know, some, some of these guys that get out and gals that get out here and coach some of these sports for, for pennies. Mm-hmm. and put their heart and soul into it. So yeah. I, well, it's kind of like what I tell the guys on our team. You may not be best friends, but I want you to be able to look across at your teammates and say, man, I respect the fact that you went through this. Yeah, And great. so same concept. I know you've got a business endeavor that you work mm-hmm. in. Talk about how uh, how sports has helped your business endeavor and maybe – the reverse, how has your business endeavor helped you as a coach, if you want to go into that? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, and that's a good question, but it's very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, I got involved with a company that uh, my dad had struggled with cancer mm-hmm. a couple times, and I was really concerned about my health. And I got involved with a, um, a company that has an outstanding supplement, an outstanding nutritional mm-hmm. uh, concept. And as I started doing the business side of it, I quickly saw that there was a strong parallel between business and sports and people ask me a lot of times why do you love sports so much what why do you what is it what do you think the kids really get out of it and and i always say to me sports teaches you more than anything and you think about you've played sports your whole life how many different roles have you taken on as an athlete and how similar is it to a parent yeah sometimes you're the supporter Sometimes you're the main player. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're, you give up things for others. Yeah. So regardless of your role on the team, it's preparing you to be a dad and to be a husband and to be uh, someone that can be counted on. Yeah. So I love that aspect of sports. And I guess with, with my business part, mm-hmm. Zeege International is the company that I'm right. with. And, and I guess from that standpoint, I, I think it's helped me. Sports has helped me way more with my business than my business has in sports because mm-hmm. – uh, I already had that understanding that I'm going to get out of this what I put in it. There's no magic pill. There's no potion to make me be successful. It comes down to rolling up my sleeves and being consistent and working. So, and then self-developing. You know, it's interesting. The first 40 years of my life, I never read a book mm-hmm. that wasn't about sport. I've read more books in the last five years than I did the first 40 mm-hmm. on, on making myself a, better, and a lot on leadership. And, you know, I guess – it's a feeling, Dax, when you take – when I took the first my first head coaching job, I remember driving to the little press conference thing we had, and I was thinking, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? I don't have Coach Jackson to blame. And I heard uh, a coach one time say it's easier it's, – it's much easier to sleep at night when you're making suggestions. But I learned at a young age that if I really want things to change – I've got to be willing to change. Yeah, It's much easier to change me than it is to change everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've carried with me my entire career, both in coaching and teaching and also in, in my business mm-hmm. endeavors, is that if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a cliche that yeah. people say, but it, I think it's very true. Nobody's going to – you know, if you're – I saw something the other day. If, if, you're, if you're relying on people to, to motivate you, to get you started, 
to keep you going, you're never going to reach your goals. Yeah. So I think that's the thing is I know I'm going to get out of it what I put in it. If I do really well or if I fail, ultimately it's it's me. Terry, you know, we're talking about a lot of the motivational books that, that you uh, have read and so forth. What would you recommend for a, a player of yours to read that you think would be helpful to them? Well, that's a good question, uh, Dax. There are several books. I think probably my one of my favorites is Lead for God's Sake. You know, that's a that's a book that I think everybody needs to read. And it really puts things in perspective for you and and, and you know, um we're all so blessed. You know, even even when we're as down as we can be, when you really stop and think about how blessed we are on this book really highlights on some of the questions you've asked me tonight. You know, what what does winning mean to you? What is successful what does being successful mean to you? This book does a really good job of putting things in perspective of what's really important. And I think by the title, Lead for God's Sake, you know, you can put two and two together about what's really important. Uh, so that so that would probably be the one I would pick. I'm glad you asked that because I do have several that uh, Jim Rowan is one of my favorites. Uh, of course, um, John C. Maxwell, the the Pillars of Leadership, Robert Kiyosaki. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you somebody that I, uh, without getting political, uh, because, you know, we're talking about sports here. But, you know, Ronald Reagan, Abraham Lincoln, those are two people that I like to read a lot, of, especially Abraham Lincoln. He he really has uh, what, one of the things that he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, the skunk would have lived a lot longer had it not brought attention to itself. And, you know, when you think about that, uh, basically what he was saying is when you bring attention to yourself, it's going to be your downfall. And so I, I get little things. He said, if they gave me six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening my axe. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm big on quotes. And so so there's a few, you know, Jim Rowan, Robert Kiyosaki, John C. Maxwell, Abraham Lincoln. We encourage our players to to self-develop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's it, I think it's, it's critical, you know, mm-hmm. as far as from a leadership standpoint is – it's not so much where are you now, but where where are you, where are you headed, where are you going? This concludes part two of Dax's interview with Terry Birdsong. 